Today's reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried himself the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from the heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord came, called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. So uh, we finished that series on, on sex, and now we're in Genesis. Have you noticed there's some sex in Genesis? Have you? Yeah. And uh, actually, I think that was a little easier to explain than what we're going to have to explain today. Um, so this is the this is the version of the Bible that we're reading, and it's the the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five, took the, the words or books, and then also the Torah, and uh, it has a special place in uh, the, the uh, Hebrew uh, faith world, but it also is the foundation for our faith. This story, and it has a name, and I only bring it up. I'm not, I'm not trying to impress you with uh, my, my knowledge of Hebrew. It's actually quite low in Hebrew. If you listen to that, it's, it's really a difficult language, ancient Hebrew. 
but it's, it's, um, it's called the Akedah. Let's just say that together. Akedah. Akedah. That, and I want you to know that it has that name, uh, which means the binding, um, the binding of Isaac. It, not every place in the Hebrew Bible has a special name, but this has a special name. And uh, it, it's named for a reason. It has, it's, it has that place. Like, that is a big deal. Whatever happened there, that was a big deal. And so uh, we're going to try to figure that out this morning. It gives us all kinds of troubles. Anybody troubled by this text? It, you should be troubled by this text. Uh, it, it, there's some, some tension and problems that are built into it. And uh, I'm just going to put a few of those before you. Uh, the first one would be, and, and by the way, people, I have, I've heard people, and I think it's fair to say, what kind of God is this that would do that? Uh, that and maybe that was on your heart this morning as you re- heard that read. What kind of God would do that? So there's this sort of psychological terror that we find in the text. And it, 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 one of my favorite authors, at least in, in my old days, was Dostoevsky. A Russian novelist you've heard of, and his own story. This this rings with something in his own story. Is when he was a young man, he was involved with a politically uh, radical group, and uh, he was arrested. And the czar, uh, along with him, some of his friends, they were brought bef- they were blindfolded and brought before a firing squad, and then it was a mock execution, deliberately staged so that they would have the fear of the czar in them as young people and instead they were sent to Siberia which is no picnic right but at least he got off that and he was able to write his great novels but is it that kind of i mean it does it has that element to it of oh it's just just kidding you know and and uh, what what is that supposed to do other than breed terror in the human psyche and then there's the theological problems that we have with why would god what kind of god would Make this big deal, and if you've if you've been reading along, and I hope you have, make this big deal of um, the son of promise who came to a man who was as good as dead. That's the New Testament's version of Abraham. He was as good as dead in terms of having a child. Good as dead. And then you do all this stuff, and it takes all this time, and he finally has the son of promise, and now you're going to kill the promised. What kind of God would do that? Well, we'll have to get into this a little bit. And then there's this whole thing about, this is the God who gave us the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, actually, it's, or kill innocent blood. So it's, that's, that's how that... Well, this is an innocent... I mean, this qualifies your son. And, and it's also the God... And get this, and and this is over and over and over again. This is the God of Israel who said, it is an abomination, it is detestable what the Canaanites do, they sacrifice their children to their gods. (sighs) What do you do with this? So it's, I mean, psychologically, theologically, and ethically, it creates problems for us. There you go. Well, this is the God of Abraham, and we're going to find out. It, he, this is in the Bible for a reason, and we have to discern what that reason is. Uh, it's, it, you know, they didn't have to be in there. Somebody put it in there. Moses is what the, the tradition says. 
And the story is written that we too might be invited into a faith journey with Abraham. Well, how are you feeling when you hear the invitation? A little nervous? Yeah. But Abraham walked by faith, not by sight. He took the visible things in his life and he put them in the context of the invisible God whose voice he could hear and he was in that place of having to trust. His eyes or his ears? The visible or the invisible? And that's what faith walking is. That's, what, that's called faith walking. So uh, let's get into it. Um, after the service, we will have there will be time for at least a few questions downstairs, and then times to talk about time to talk about those questions in groups. So uh, you're invited again to that. I want to give you the outline for our, this this little thing we're doing here, the Akedah, and the, we're going to look at the context of the story in Genesis. Um, it's interesting that this scripture, the birth of Isaac comes in chapter 21 of Genesis, and this comes in 22, and this is considered the climax of the book of Genesis. This is like of Abraham's life and also of Genesis. This is a key moment, which is why it gets this name as a special place. The context of the story in Genesis, the story itself, and then the context of the story in the the whole scriptures. Well, um, Let's just do a little review here. Those of you who, who read, and you, you've read through, I think, 30 chapters if you're on task. And if you're not on task, just start reading today. You'll be blessed by reading God's Word. But in those chapters, what we discovered is, this is the context of the story, leading up to chapter 22. We've discovered that God created the world, Genesis 1 and 2, that God is a loving God, that he called it good, and that he called human beings very good. And that there's this, this built-in love that you find there. And the, the, there's one commandment, and that commandment is put there for a reason. It's not an ethical commandment. It's a relational trust commandment. It is to make sure that these people trust in God's goodness. And you get to chapter 3, and sure enough, they fail to trust in God's goodness. They're going to seek it out on their own, in their own way. Now, um, I want to read just a little bit from Genesis 3 to give you a clue that this is just in the first few pages of the Bible, that God is not only a God of creation, he's a God of redemption. And he says to the serpent uh, that he, meaning someone, someone who is to come in the future, will strike your head. This is the evil one. The evil one is going to take a fatal blow to the head. And then it says, and you will strike his heel. You will, you, will have, you will inflict pain upon this person from God in the future, but you are going to, you're going to get the worst of it. Okay? So that's in there. It's, it's a hope and a promise. It's called the first good news in the Bible after the fall. And then uh, on the, in the same chapter it says, and the Lord God, before he uh, put them out of the Garden of Eden, he made clothing from animal skins for Adam and for his wife Eve. Animal skins meaning that there is a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice that is going to be needed. And it points towards that in the future, which also points towards the story that we are in. So we see God doing things right away to try to uh, make things right. He's a redeemer, not just a creator. But then we find in chapters 4 through 11 a, a downward spiral and that spiral is reflected in violence in chapter 4, murder in chapter 4 of the brothers, Cain over Abel. 
And then we find these macho men doing things, and we find people building towers of power, etc., etc. It's a downward spiral, and there's one bright spot, and there's Noah, and God makes a promise to him. But even Noah has a little problem. If you read about that, he got drunk and blah, blah, blah. Okay, nothing new under the sun. But it is a picture overall of downwardness. And then you get to chapter 12, and there's a new beginning that, and this is the key. Genesis chapter 12 is the backbone for which the story of Christ and uh, all, the, uh, all the promises of God are built upon. And God picks one man whose father was an idol worshiper, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you so much, you're going to be a blessing to the whole world. And that man is Abraham. And you see how Abraham walks. And was, here's the blessing. You're going you're gonna to get tons of children. Look at the sky and see all the stars up there. You're going to have that many children. Look at the sand on the seashore. You're going to have that many children. Right now, he's as what? He's as good as what? Dead. He has no, there's no possibilities. He's old. His wife is old. So, you know, how's this going to work? And he's going to have land. You're going to have people. You're going to have, you're going to have land. You're going to, have, be a great nation. Blessing to the world. And 24 years later, not much to show for it. But he's walked faithfully with a question mark. I mean, there was the whole thing uh, about uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Those are reminders that he didn't trust totally in God to fulfill his promise. And then there's those two times where he lies and says that Sarah is his sister. You guys have been reading. Yeah. And as old as Sarah is, she's still hot, apparently, right? So uh, there's those things. But more than not, Abraham has walked faithfully. So you get to chapter 21, and who shows up? Isaac, the son of promise, is born, which tells us a whole lot about the God of Abraham in that he loves to do things both naturally and supernaturally. And when he's going to fix the world, he's going to do it supernaturally. The kingdom of God comes by faith, by the Spirit, by prayer. Not by getting a bunch of smart people into a room at Microsoft (laughs) or wherever and figuring it out. It's really important for us to hear this. Think Think of Jesus' birth. It's a miracle birth. The kingdom of God comes by faith, by spirit, by prayer. So uh, things are looking up. Things are joy, joy, joy. The, The trend is up and to the right. And then you get to chapter 22. Not so much. That's the context of our story. So there's, let's get to uh, this, right there, this story. The Akedah. The test is called either the, the test of Abraham or the binding of Isaac. Take your pick, but the Hebrew is the Akedah. Sometime later, sometime later, meaning Isaac is now probably a teenager, okay? So he's, he's old enough to understand what's going on around him. Um, God tested Abraham's faith. Faith that is not tested is not faith. Faith is not something that you think in your head or feel in your heart. Something, it's something that you work out in your life, and he's going to test Abraham's faith. Remember, Abraham had been mostly faithful to this point, and it's fair to say he needed a, a test, but this is a, a, a huge test. And here's what Abraham says, and I'm going to leave that up there for a while, because uh, God calls to Abraham, and Abraham replies, 
here I am. Here I am. And we're going to find that this brackets this section, because at the end he'll say, again, here I am. Okay, so the word comes and he says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. A couple of things here. Uh, Do you remember in chapter 19 when there was this whole threat of, of his son Lot and his family being um, wiped out in the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And remember what Abraham did? He bargained with God. He's, you know, if there's 100 righteous, and then he gets down, and, he, and then just a few, and God, he kept bargaining with God. You remember that? It's just, it's, he's a good bargainer. And why wouldn't he do that here? We have to ask that. Like, why wouldn't he object in some way? He gives a, it's a key to the story. So you, you want to pay attention to that. And then you also want to notice that he doesn't tell Sarah. Can you imagine what would have happened if he had told Sarah what he was going to do? And it just, it just makes you realize uh, something's going on here that's beyond. Uh, and of course, you moms know that you would have put your foot down. And you'd, you'd, you'd say, Abraham, you're out of your mind. God would never ask you to do that. You're not going to go. I'm going to kill you before you do, right? I mean, something like that, if, if I know Sarah. But uh, what he does is he gets up early, and he saddles his donkey, and he takes his two servants with him, along with his son Isaac. So there's a, there's a party that are going out. They're taking wood on the donkey with them for the sacrifice, and they strike out, and it takes them three days to get to a place that they can then see in the distance. And when they get to that place, the pace of the whole story slows down. And Abraham says to the two servants, he says, the boy and I are going to do it alone. From here we're going on alone. You guys stay here with the donkey. And they take the wood. They, they actually put, Abraham puts the wood onto Isaac's back, on his shoulders. And... Um, he carries the knife and whatever they used for fire. And the two of them walk on together. So it's a very uh, tender moment here in the story, a father and a son. And it, whenever I read this, I, I'm remembered of my younger days, maybe the same age as Isaac, but my dad would take me either fishing or hunting or something fun like that, and you have to get up really early. And I had no, it might be dark out, and you're on these back roads to nowhere, and I had no idea where I was, and it didn't matter, because I was with my dad, and he knew where he was, and that's all I needed to know. I was with my dad. And that's a good feeling, to, to be able to trust in that way. And um, you, you kind of get the sense of that. There's a nervousness, maybe, and anxiety. I, ang- uh, Isaac is old enough to, you know, how t- do, do teenagers pick up on things? <laughs> I mean, they know, you kind of get it, right? And there's, there's this quiet thing going on between them, and it's very tender. Let me read... Um, at least some of that. 
So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on to Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where is the lamb or the, the sheep? It's either a translation for the burnt offering. And Abraham replies, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. And you can see there's a lot going on there in that reading. It's very tender. Well, um, as as we kind of imagine all of that, um, Isaiah seems to be trusting his anxiety to his father, and Abraham seems to be trusting his anxiety to his father, his God. But there's some anxiety there. And when they arrived at the place where God told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I, I just, um, at this point, I had, I just, I think of their eyes meeting, the father and the son. And um, I have a kind of a, a funny story this week, but hopefully it'll, it'll, it, it just came to me as I was reflecting on this. So we were with our, our three-year-old grandson this week, and um, we were getting ready to have some kind of pasta. And, you know, what do you put on pasta on top? You put Parmesan cheese, right? Am I right? So somebody was shaking the Parmesan cheese, and um, you could hear this. It sounded like a drum. You know, have you, you ever noticed how they get hard balls in there, you know, and, and I'm, a, I'm a guy, okay, I'm going to fix this. And so I grabbed this Parmesan cheese, and I held down, I thought I held down, <laughs> I held down, I, you know, I started going like this, and I held down part of it, but I didn't realize the other part, and one of these big balls hit that thing, flew out, Parmesan cheese all over my three-year-old grandson. <laughs> yeah. And he looked at me. So this is, what, this is why this reminded me of this text. But he looked at me like, and he, he actually said these words. He says, I don't know why you did that. <laughs> and he's, he's looking at me with, just on the edge of tears. You can tell when a three-year-old. And I had to convince him, you know, through my, I wasn't trying to do that. <laughs> Papa made a big mistake. And then we laughed about, it's really hard to get Parmesan cheese out of your hair. But um, So he got a bath that night. But it was that eye contact. Uh, why? I don't know why you did that. Why are you doing this? Isaac might be looking up to his father. I mean, can you imagine the father with a knife in his hand and the son... And there's no, there's, it's an amazing scene. That's the point. That's the Akedah. 
That's the heart of it. So we have the rescue. And um, the angel says to Abraham, uh, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, right there, those words again, here I am. And now the, the angel of the Lord says, I, I know that you fear God. And that word fear bothers us because we think, I think back to Dostoevsky, the czar instilling fear. But especially in the first five books of the Bible, whenever you see the word fear, you've got you've to think bigger than a small definition. You've got to think love and trust. And all of those words are connected together. If you fear the Lord, you trust the Lord. And you love the Lord. If you love the Lord, you trust the Lord. And you fear the Lord. If you trust the Lord, you fear the Lord. And you love the Lord. They were, they're just connected. And if you don't get that, you're not going to get what's going on here. You're, that word's going to keep coming up and up again. In fact, when we get to the book of Deuteronomy, it'll get used interchangeably. Love and fear, particularly, will be used interchangeably. They're, just, they're almost synonymous in the first five books of the Bible. And maybe beyond. So what is, how does this function in the story? How do, or how does this function, this story function in Abraham's life? Then we'll get to the big context of the whole Bible. It functions for Abraham. Here, here's real quick on this. Whenever you're really blessed, you're tempted to think that the blessing is the main thing instead of the blesser. And so here's the, here's the theological question. Do you love the blessing more than you love God? And will you manipulate God to get blessings? Am I a blessing seeker or a God seeker? What's my baseline here? And if you're a blessing seeker, that, that's the question that is, you know, there's, there's Isaac, the blessing. Will, will, will Abraham offer that up? Will he let go of that? What is that thing in our lives that we seek maybe more than God? And Abraham passes the test. That's, that's certainly part of it. He exercises the faith muscles. But I want you to hear this, too. This might help. Abraham had now walked with God. Remember, he failed a few times, but he's walked pretty much faithfully with God for 35 to 40 years. And he just kind of knows, deep down in his... wherever. He just knows that God's going to handle this. And so the New Testament says that Abraham reasoned in his heart that God could raise someone from the dead. That even if he were to kill his son, his son would still be alive. That his son, God could bring him back to life. That's how great God is. That's, how, that's where Abraham was. And that's, we struggle with it because we really don't believe that the way he did. Does that help? Well, I think it should help. But let me give you a little bit more the bigger context for this story. And this is, um, by the way, Christians have all the advantages here. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity is better than Judaism. There's, there's, I understand uh, there's a complex relationship that we've had for thousands of years, 2,000 years anyway. And um, I, this isn't my, my case. But if you try to read the Jewish scholars on this story, oh man, it's a, it's a mess. It's all over the place. They can't, some of them say that Abraham should have just said, just said no to God originally, and then he would have passed the test. If he had just not even, I mean, the test was that he should never have said yes. 
from there to everything else, it's, it's just different. For Christians, it's really, this story is so rich, and the early church picked up on it as pointing to Jesus Christ. So, let me just read a few pieces of this to get, uh, again to show you, and if you, maybe you've already picked up on it, but t- take your son, your only son, the very language that God uses at Jesus' baptism. This is my son, my one son whom I love. It's the same language applied to Jesus. God the Father giving his son to the world. Go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him there. Moriah is Jerusalem. Geographically, we're talking about Jerusalem. Not only that, we're talking about the Temple Mount where the temple was built, where sacrifices were made for hundreds of years and nearby where Jesus died on a cross. That's Moriah. What is this pointing towards? So Abraham placed wood on his shoulders. Jesus carried a cross up to Calvary where he would become a sacrifice. Where is the lamb? Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Abraham replies, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Jesus takes the place of all who, uh, all those sacrifices that were made and all who deserve punishment. God will provide. Okay, so let's just close with this. I'm going to use, ask you to use your imagination. So Abraham is actually there on that Friday when the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, somehow he is time-traveled. He's there 2,000 years later. He's there, and he's looking at Jesus on the cross, and what does he say? He might say, now I get it. Now I get it. I get it. I get it. How much God the Father sending his son, I was just kind of pointing the way. I was symbolizing it. I was metaphoring it. I was, that wasn't the point. The point was where, is this right here in front of me now? And I see how much God loves people that he would send his only son. It's like John 3.16, Abraham would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then let's just imagine that Abraham somehow is able to be there on Sunday morning and he sees Jesus Christ risen from the dead and he says, now I get it. I get it. I see that God can do anything, anything at all. God can raise the dead. I thought he could, now I know he can. What kind of God is this? Remember, that's the question we started with. What kind of God is this? And this is the God of Abraham. And he's our God. Let's pray. Um, I'm going to ask you to consider some things in this prayer. So Abraham walked by faith. We're invited to walk by faith along the journey of our lives like Abraham did, like Jesus did. And trust and love and fear the God of Abraham. To follow him wherever he leads us. To sacrifice whatever he asks us. To see the possibilities of all of life that he puts before us. To unite the visible that we see with the invisible that we hear in his promises to us. 
And if you want to renew that, if you want to re-up your faith this morning, or if you want to make it new for the first time, if you can trust God, love God, fear God, the way Abraham did, just whisper those words of Abraham. Here I am, Lord. Here, here I am. Here I am in my imperfection. Here I am in my need for your provision. Here I am. And I love you, Lord. I fear you. I trust you. I want you to be my God now and forever. Amen.